We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 16 this evening. And as you're turning, I want to tell you a story. Uh, a story I heard recently from about a woman who lived in St. Louis. One day she noticed a couple of bumblebees flying in and out of a small hole near her attic. She didn't think much about it. Uh, in fact, uh, she actually forgot about it, thinking, well, uh, it must not be a, a big deal. And so uh, she forgot about it until one day she walked into her home, walked back into her bedroom where the attic, attic was, and her roof had caved in, crashed. It, w- it was completely, it, it had come crashing down the ceiling in her bedroom. And as the cleanup crew came and started cleaning up this mess and the debris, they hauled out almost a ton, literally a ton, of beeswax, honeycombs, honey, and bumblebees. You see, the lady ignored um, and didn't deal with a problem, a huge problem that eventually wreaked havoc on her home. And in a similar way here in this passage, Paul is going to talk about things that at first glance, like these bumblebees with this woman, might seem like no big deal, but if they don't, and if they're not dealt with, they'll, they'll cause huge problems in wreck wreak havoc on our spiritual lives. I think you'll see what I mean as we read our passage from Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 14 through 16. Please stand as I read God's Word in honor of His holy, inspired, and authoritative Word. This is uh, His Word starting in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. This is God's word. Let me pray. Father, uh, this is a challenging passage. As I look at it, I think, how in the world am I to do all things without grumbling and complaining and arguing? It seems so impossible, but yet you call us to it. Help us to understand what this means for our lives, but even more importantly, show us what we need to live this out and to be changed and to live differently in a world that is constantly grumbling and constantly complaining around us. Would you do this tonight? In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So you've heard the passage. You've probably heard it many times throughout your life. And this might be one of these verses that you've even posted up on your mirror uh, before. uh, Or memorized. Do all things. Your parents probably even told it to you. Now, as a kid, and said, do all things 
without complaining or grumbling. You know, some of your translations probably have complaining and arguing. The ESV, the English Standard Version, says grumbling and questioning. I memorized this verse actually in the NIV, and so if I say complaining and arguing, you know what I mean. Uh, Forgive me. But if you're like me and you read this, I often read this verse and think about this verse and I'm like, really? Is it really that big a deal? <laughs> I mean, that that I might go home and be a little grumpy with Susie, my wife, and the kids or with someone every once in a while. Is it really that big a deal that I might whine a little bit or complain or argue Is it really that big a deal? See, we might be tempted to think that, that it isn't a big deal, but then we realize who's writing this. Think about the author of this passage of the book of Philippians is the Apostle Paul. What do we know about Paul? Well, Paul was shipwrecked for his faith. He was beaten for his faith. And he's actually writing this letter from a prison in Rome. And so as Paul writes, and as all the biblical writers write, there's no wasted words here. He is not giving us something that's just that we are to just brush off flippantly. This is a big deal. And Paul says that it matters how we live. And it matters that we have a commitment in our lives to do all things without complaining and arguing, or grumbling, and questioning. And if we're going to take this seriously, this verse, these couple of verses, we have to first realize that Paul's talking about an issue in our hearts. Now let me tell you what this is not saying here. Paul is not saying this. I think this is important. Paul is not saying that the best Christians are the people that walk around and never crack under pressure. He's not saying that the best Christians are the person or the people that never share their struggles or that are never discouraged or that always walk around with a smile on their face regardless of how much they might be hurting inside. No. It's not what Paul's saying. Some people have taken that verse that way. But remember... Scripture interprets Scripture. That's a Bible study principle. Uh, that when something might not be clear in one area of Scripture uh, or might not line up, we need to go to other areas of Scripture uh, to interpret it. Well, we know that this is not the case because why? Just read the Psalms. They open up. They pour out their heart uh, before God when they're discouraged. And so, God, it's not here, He's not saying that We're to pretend in God's presence that everything's okay because we can't complain or we can't be discouraged. That's not Paul's point. Because Paul is saying here that in other places it's said that we are, God is near to the brokenhearted. And so God invites that from us. And also, as we think about the Bible, it says to what? Carry one another's burdens. And so we can't be always walking around on eggshells around somebody saying, well, I can't really tell them I'm discouraged because I can't complain or argue or they might think I'm complaining. No. God wants us to be able to pour our hearts out to Him 
to go to Him when we're discouraged and to be honest and to go to other people. And if we fail to do that, then we're going to miss the richness of our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Okay, that's a preface. So if that's not what it means to complain or argue, then what does it mean? Well, let's look at God's Word for the answer. That's the first point. What does it mean? Look at verses 14 and 15. You see, to understand these verses, we have to understand that they really find uh, their background in the Old Testament. Paul reaches back into the history of God's people in the Old Testament to give the Philippians and to give us a picture of what he's talking about. It helps us interpret and understand exactly what Paul's saying. Here's a brief summary of Old Testament history. Genesis chapter 17... God calls a man named Abraham out of a pagan world and makes a covenant with Abraham. And he tells Abraham that he is going to be the leader of his people. Abraham's the leader of God's people. And he says, and my people are to walk blameless before me. That is what, if you are a follower of Christ, that is what God wants from us. We are a people that were in a dark world, dead in our sins, but God has called us to the light by giving us life, and He calls us to walk blameless before Him. But after hundreds of years, these uh, people of God in the Old Testament ended up, you probably know the story, in bondage. They ended up in slavery to the Egyptians. They were surrounded by a world of unbelief, by people who had no regard for God whatsoever. But God, remember, had a covenant with His people. And He didn't give up on them, but He rescued them, and He sent a man named Moses to bring them and lead His people out of slavery, out of bondage, out of Egypt. And Moses leads them out of Egypt and starts leading them to the promised land, which is known as Canaan. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. But between their bondage in Egypt and between the promised land, you know this, they went through what? The wilderness. They went through suffering. They went through hardship. Things weren't going exactly as planned. And how did they respond? By grumbling? And questioning God. And they looked at God's leader, the one that God had chosen to lead them, Moses, and they said, Have you brought us out here to die? Is this what this was all about? We would rather be in Egypt than to be where God is leading us and to be right in the center of what He is doing. Slavery would be better rather than what God has for us. Those were the words of God's people, the Israelites in the Old Testament. That's the background that Paul is drawing from in these verses. He's saying that we, as Christians, are connected to the Old Testament people of God. That the same God that worked in their lives is the same God that's working in our lives today. We are the new people of God that have been delivered 
from the bondage of sin and death and its power over us. And we are now, track with me, on our way to glory. We are now on our way to the ultimate promised land, to the new heavens and new earth, to heaven, as the Bible describes it. And we too are in this in-between stage. God has called us. Jesus hadn't returned yet, and we're in this in-between time similar to the wilderness that the Old Testament people of God were in, in the Old Testament. And God says, I want you to learn from them. Don't make the same mistake that they made. That's what Paul is saying here to the Philippians and to us. I want you to neither complain nor argue. So what is grumbling? Let's define it in verse 14. Simply put, as we have that background, it is this. refers to a self-centered, self-obsessed complaining that at its heart is a refusal to trust God and a refusal to handle life's disappointment with grace you got that? A refusal to trust God at its heart and to handle graciously the disappointments that come into our lives. Complaining, it's a demanding self-centeredness in a response to what God has allowed in your life and what God asks you to do. That's what it means to grumble or complain. Secondly, The word questioning, you've probably figured it out, it refers to questioning God. It is saying, it's the idea that God calls you to do something or asks you to do something and we argue or question Him about it. At its heart, it's a lack of faith. It's a belief issue. It is saying to God, why are you doing this to me? Why does she get all the guys and I haven't had a date since I've been at Sanford? It is saying to God, why aren't you answering my prayers? You're not doing it quickly enough. What's going on? How did you expect me to act in these circumstances? I mean, look at what you've brought into my life. It's those kind of questions that get at the heart of what it means to question God. And so how do we do this? How do we live a life uh, of not complaining and not questioning. How do we do all this? Look at verse 16. Here's a couple of practical things. It says there, we must hold fast to the word of life. That means hold fast to the gospel. Hold on to Jesus. Hold on to God's word. That's why it's so important that you get under it and hear it preached on a regular basis. That's why it's so important that you get into it. And read it and study it. Why? Because this is God's revelation to us. You want to know who God is in His character? It doesn't just fly out of thin air. God has revealed Himself through His Word. He's also done it in creation, but He's done it in a very special way through the Scriptures. And so get into it. Study who He is. And what you'll find is that He is good and trustworthy, and He is a God that makes good on His promises and on the covenant 
that He has made with His people. Secondly, community. How can we grow in this and move towards doing all things without grumbling and arguing? Well, get in community. We need to be in relationships with people that point us to Jesus. We, re- we need relationships with outsiders too, absolutely. But we need to also be in relationship with people that point us to Jesus as our only hope. That help us look to the gospel. That tell us or preach the gospel to, to us and tell us who God is and remind us of His faithfulness and His goodness to us. And then also, you need to be that kind of person for somebody. You need to be in your relationships encouraging people and pointing them to the Savior. Pointing them to our good and faithful God. And then thirdly, and this is where I'm going to spend a couple more minutes, is we've got to remember who we are. Look at verse 15. Paul reminds the Philippians, and he's reminding us, that they are children of God. We have to remember as we're going through this wilderness, so to speak, this in-between times, as we live in a world of suffering where sin uh, still, uh, we still feel the effects of it, of the fall, and we suffer and have hardship, we've got to remember who's to whom we belong. We belong to God. We are His child. We are His sons and daughters. In verse 15, It's interesting, this phrase, again, pulling from the Old Testament, crooked and twisted generation. That comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. That's how God described, or that's how the Old Testament people of God were described in the Old Testament. And what you learn, if you were to read through the Old Testament, is that this crooked and twisted generation, that it wasn't many sins that just piled up, but it was really one sin, one big sin, and that was turning away from God as the source of their life. It was the failure of them. They deserted God and refused to look to Him for life. They abandoned the one who had actually brought them out of Egypt and given them life and created them. And so... Maybe we understand as we get that picture why grumbling and questioning is such a big deal. Why is it such a big deal? Why is it so unacceptable? Because who's your grumbling really against? It's really against God. Exodus 16.8, Moses says, Your grumbling is not against us. But it is against the Lord. You see, deep down, a complaining spirit is an expression of ingratitude towards all the Lord has done for you and is doing in your life. A complaining spirit reveals a lack of trust in God's provision in your life. You see, at the heart of grumbling and questioning... It's simply this. It is simply unbelief. It is a refusal to believe God is good. When we grumble and complain, we forget who we are. Most of us, most of you in this room, are experiencing some sort of disappointment. 
some sort of hardship. Some of you maybe didn't get the summer job that you wanted or didn't get the position in the organization that you wanted for next year. Some of you didn't get into the graduate school that you hoped that you would get into. And you're doubting God. And you're doubting His goodness. But I want to make one very specific application. And the very specific application has to do with relationships. I've been on the campus for four years. I've been in college ministry. And the most, most of the time where I see this issue of complaining and questioning and grumbling, it reveals itself where I hear students complaining is in the area of relationships. And here's what I mean. The gospel says, and when I say complaining, I'm not married and I'm ticked off about it. I'm not dating anyone and that just frustrates me. She gets all the girls. He gets all the girls. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. He gets all the girls. Um, Those kind of uh, thoughts. But the gospel comes in and it says this. God is good. That He is a good Father that longs to give good gifts to His children. Matthew 7 says, where Jesus says this, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, which one of you, because I'm right here with you, man, if I tell you, when things don't go my way, I start to wonder if God's holding out on me. This is a great verse. It says, which one of you, if his son asked him for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you when you ask him? When you have children, if your your child asks you for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? If he asked for a fish, would you give him a snake? Absolutely not. He wouldn't even think about it. How much more then does God long to be good to you? God knows what's best. He has your best interest in mind. He loves you. He knows exactly what He's doing. And so if you're married tonight, which only two people in the room are, me and Blake... God has been good to us. And if you're single tonight, and by single I mean not married, God is just as good to you. God is in control of every single detail in your life. And if you're single tonight, you are exactly where you need to be and exactly where God wants you to be. And some of you don't feel that, but it's true, and you need to believe it. And we're going right now do something a little different. We're going to speak this truth, and we're going to say it and speak it into our hearts using the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism, catechisms are basically summaries of what the Bible teaches. And they're not God's Word, but they teach us God's Word. The Heidelberg Catechism is a summary of what the Bible teaches about who God is. And we're going to, I'm going to read the question. 
and then I want you to corporately, we're all going to say the answer to the question. This was written in the 1500s. So, uh, participate with me. Sorry. What do you understand by the providence of God? Okay, let's say it together. Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which He upholds as with His hand heavens and earth and all creatures and so rules them by leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and thick, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us, not by chance, but from His fatherly hand. All right, next question. How does the knowledge of God's pro- of creation and providence help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing will separate us from His love. All creatures saying that without His will, they can neither move nor be moved. Do you believe that tonight? That is what the Scriptures teach. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that somehow God is out to get you when things don't go your way? Or do you believe He's out to get you when you're not in the relationship that you so much long for? My prayer is that you would be so impressed with the goodness of God that whether you meet someone tonight, before you walk out of this room, or whether you never get married, that you would be able to look full into the face of God and say, You are good. That won't be easy. That'll be a very difficult thing. But my hope is that you'll find hope in Him. Not your circumstances, but hope in Him. And He will be enough because His ways are good. His ways are right. His ways are true. And they are perfect. You see, there's this constant temptation, and it's all around us, to complain about how much we don't have. Or to envy what someone else has. And to think about how much our life stinks. And Paul is telling every single one of us, Guys, don't be like the Israelites. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Instead... Believe God. Live by faith. Live out your faith and trust in Him. He is good and He keeps His covenant with His people. A few weeks ago, you might remember that we had these thunderstorms that, well, we've had a lot of them recently. A couple weeks ago, uh, there was one night that they were really bad. And my three-year-old, Kate, is terrified of thunderstorms. Uh, I really don't know why. She's been that way ever since she was little. They're loud and all these flashes, I guess, coming through the window. But she just gets freaked out by thunderstorms. So Susie and I are holding our breath like, please don't get loud, storm. 
<laughs> please don't let Kate hear it. And um, sure enough, I mean, it wasn't five minutes later that, you know, the loudest clap of thunder you've ever heard and the, you know, biggest, brightest bolt of lightning comes crashing down, lighting up our whole house, shaking our house. And at the top of her lungs, literally in an instant, ah, she's just screaming bloody murder. She is scared. She's literally scared to death. And here's how scared she is. I run back to the room. And she, this is no joke, she's covered under the covers, on her knees, covered up, screaming. Okay? I pull the cover off of her. In an attempt to comfort her, I pick her up in my arms. And guess what happens? Almost immediately, she puts her head down on my shoulder and gets quiet. I say, Kate, I'm going to lay you back down in the bed. But I'm going to be here with you for a few minutes. I put her back down on the bed. She lays her head down. And within 30 seconds, she's asleep. But guess what? The storm's still raging. The storm's still louder than it was before. It's still huge claps of lightning coming down, rattling our house, and she's snoring away, sleeping peacefully. Why? Because I'm her father. And she felt safe. And she was able to lay down and go to sleep because I was there. And that was enough. I couldn't make the storms go away. In fact, they didn't go away. But I was there and it was enough. We're in the wilderness. We're waiting for Jesus to return. Faith isn't an automatic cessation of all of our problems. I wish it were. There's going to be hardships. There's going to be trouble. Things aren't always going to turn out the way that you want them to. But how much more... Should we be encouraged and should we be comforted by knowing that our Heavenly Father is with us and that He's watching over us, that He has our best interest in mind and that He is good and that He gives us what we need to face whatever chaos, whatever hardship, whatever struggle that you might be facing right at this moment. You see, in order for us to really live out this passage, we have got to understand this, that God sent His Son into the greatest storm, into the greatest hardship and suffering that the world has ever known. He sent His Son into the storm of His justice and wrath. You see, Jesus took on... The pain of the only storm that really matters. So that you and I can face whatever it is that we might be experiencing right at this very moment. That's our hope. Look to Him. And be uh, hopeful. Look to Him and rejoice. And be content.
and be comforted and encouraged in the midst of the wilderness that you might be experiencing at this moment. Let's pray. Father, this is uh, a challenging passage and we need your help. And so by your grace, through the power of your Holy Spirit, help our unbelief. Help us for once to trust and believe that you are really good. To live out that in the midst of our struggles. You are good because your word tells us and we know you're good because you have given us new life. Thank you for Jesus and for sending him to die for our sin and to free us from the bondage of death and sin. Lord, I pray that uh, we would sing uh, from our hearts uh, with joy knowing that you watch over us and you are near to us that you haven't abandoned us, but you are actively and very involved in our lives and you care for us and you're working out your plan in our lives and you're making us more and more like yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.